This is The Law School Show. Discovering the person behind the resume. Bringing you their stories and their tips on how to succeed in your legal career. Catch it all here, right now, on The Law School Show. Are you a law student with an interest in criminal or immigration law? Would you like a free, fun, and informative way of keeping abreast of major changes? Learn advocacy tips and get exposure to the brightest minds in these important practice areas. Iman Publishing, a proud sponsor of the Law School Show, produces two podcasts that will inform and entertain. The Lawyer's Lounge is a criminal law-focused podcast hosted by the esteemed Daniel Robitaille. With over 25,000 downloads, over 13 episodes, it has become the preeminent criminal law podcast in Canada. Listen for practical advocacy tips, business and career advice, and life-saving hacks in criminal practice. If your interest is in immigration law, listen to our podcast, Welcome Home, with expert hosts Chantal Deloge and Catherine Sawicki, informative guests in our regular What I Wish I Knew segment will be of great utility for aspiring immigration lawyers. A great way to bridge the gap between academia and practice. Give us a listen on any of your favorite podcast providers. My name is Ocean Envar, one of your hosts here at the Law School Show. Thank you all for tuning in. Today takes a rather unique turn from some of our previous episodes, as my guest today is not from Canada. I'm excited to share the mic with Thomas Galloway. Thomas obtained his JD from the University of Denver in 2021. He's currently a manager at the Law Toolbox, a cloud-based centralized deadline management system. And he's the founder of Sustainable Fitness, which focuses on providing fitness coaching to attorneys, business execs, and other professionals. It's worth noting as well that Thomas is the creator and host of his own podcast, The Galloway Isabel Show, or The Galloway and Isabel Podcast, which I highly encourage our listeners to check out whenever they have some time. Thomas, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Ocean. It's great to be here. So you didn't go to law school in Canada. You attended the University of Denver, which I'm sure many of our listeners are eager to hear a bit about and what law school in the States looks like. But perhaps before we get started there, maybe you can share a bit about your early life and what took you down the law school path. Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in a really small town in Ames, Iowa, which for anybody who's not familiar, Iowa is uh, in the Midwest and we're one of those states that most people fly over, but never actually settle down in. And I grew up in a very small town, like I mentioned, and all we really did was play sports and hang out with our friends. And I think that's partly what informed my uh, interest in fitness within a community and We'll get into that a little more as we go along, but I grew up in that town and I had a very strong interest in politics and in law from a very early age. That's generally what I read about when I would uh, sit down and, you know, kill some time. So that took me to a trajectory um, throughout my high school career that eventually led me to Iowa State University. And I had the decision to make between pursuing something down the political path or going down a business route, which I was also very interested in that combination between the legal side and the business side. So 
I chose to major in marketing. My business side won out. But as I went through my through business school, I realized that I still had uh, a lot to um, lot to reach on the political and legal side. So I was interested in writing and reading, and I thought I had a competency in it, but didn't get to exercise exercise a lot of those muscles in marketing. And so I transitioned after marketing to come to law school here at the University of Denver, and I made my decision primarily because I wanted to be in an area where you had a nice balance of a good law school, but also the fitness and a culture that really encouraged health and wellness. And I think Denver offered that unique balance. And it's something that I didn't see in a lot of other places. And I felt like it was something I need to take advantage of. So that is the winding path between the business and legal size that eventually led me to a law school here at the University of Denver. So it sounds like the background that sort of carried you through to where you are today, or at least to law school, is to some degree similar, I think, to a lot of us here in Ottawa. Um, quite a few of us are either with a political background or a business background mm-hmm. or some mix of the two. And and so I imagine that um, quite a few of those in, uh, in the University of Denver come from similar backgrounds. But I'm wondering if the the experience itself what was that like was uh, i'm sure a lot of the listeners are curious to know if if law school in the states is to some degree the same as here in canada yeah i mean that's something we can get into a little more i the first thing that really stood out to me was obviously at least law school here is notorious for the cold calling aspect and absolutely grilling students uh at every possible opportunity it felt, especially in the first few days. So that's something that I, I assume that's a common thread throughout most law schools. Um, but that's certainly present here. And I don't really see that going any different direction soon. I've heard from my professors that it used to be much worse, but who knows, um, you know, who knows what the old stories, how, how they've morphed throughout the years. But I think one thing that's changed a little bit for me and probably for you as well is seven months into law school for me, we were online because of COVID. So that was a pretty abrupt change and does kind of make it hard to really feel like we had the authentic law school experience. For me, over half of my law school career was remote and that has distorted a little bit, but that's a general idea of what it's like for me. I mean, we had classes of 80 people, um, and then a few smaller classes of 20 here and there. But that's that's a couple of the defining aspects of it for me. Yeah, I think from, I guess, from my 1L experience, definitely the cold calling was a thing. And once we hopped over online, I think the only thing that changed was that people could now just ignore the question by pretending <laughs> that they have some connection issues or something. And yeah. I'm seeing that that's happening a lot. As, have you have you found that was going on quite a bit at uh, U Denver? Yeah, you could definitely do that. And I mean, first of all, turn the camera off was a good start. I mean, that's half of it right there, I feel like. And then, I mean, even if I never did this, but if you were tempted to do this, leaving would be way easier. <laughs> I And then you could blame on the connection issues. So I'm sure we had a few people doing that. There is There seemed to be a lot more uh, convenient ab- absences at certain times uh, than previously. <laughs> 
Right. Yeah, definitely. I guess it's uh, it serves some interests, but uh, is definitely a, uh, a negative in terms of social interactions and things right. like that. It, in yeah. terms of the the length and everything that that's I I'm pretty sure everything is the same, right? It's three years and then yep. you have your articling. Do you do you guys still have your articling after um, the L there? Uh, we're just straight to the bar. And then um, that's that's it for us. Oh, amazing. So do you know if in law school you get some unique experiential training that we only really get in articling? Or is it generally just as a first year associate, you're, you're getting that insight? So we have clinics, especially at the University of Denver. We were ranked pretty highly in our clinical program. And so that was, I never participated, but it was either half a year or a year uh, in a specific clinic. So civil litigation, environmental, sports law, whatever it may be. And it would be for credit hours. And it could be between anywhere between, I think, three to six credits. And you would work on real cases with oversight from professors and attorneys. And so you could get some experiential learning that way. And then our school heavily incentivized um, internships by providing credits um, and a pretty good amount of credit, I would say. So those are a couple of the different aspects that I don't know. Is that similar to your experience? Yes, yeah, some law schools here do have um, like a, a experiential learning component that's required. But most here, because of the articling structure, where in technically the, the 4L experience is just mm-hmm. working, but as a student rather than as a licensed lawyer, there's definitely less of a focus in law school on the experiential side. But yeah. Uh, we have the summers, which I'm sure you have the same, and, and we kind of make up for it there. Yeah. What's the general opinion on your side as far as the articling process? Do you do you find do you think that's a worthwhile significant amount of time, or what do you what do you think would be it? Just instinctively, what's your preference on that? Yeah, I I think we are here kind of. We, we don't know anything else yet. Right. Um, definitely not the ones that are, are still going through the process, but just looking at how many jurisdictions are, are just jumping straight into the bar, I can definitely see how it can work because it's obviously working in other places. So I guess we'll have to wait and see where uh, where Ontario goes. Yeah, and I mean, it makes sense that, I mean, I, I feel personally that when I graduated law school that I would not be prepared to maybe just need to dive in, but I kind of felt like I was not in a p- position to start practicing law immediately. So I, I can definitely see the value. And especially compared to say like medical school, which, you know, there's often the debate between which is more difficult. And I, I mean, they're going much longer than we are. And so I, I three years does seem pretty quick to then immediately be going out there and dealing with some pretty uh, heavy and important uh, issues. Right. And, and I guess on that note, just bearing in mind for, for listeners to, to think about what's tuition looking like in, in Denver for, for law school, is it similar to us in the 20 plus thousand or less or more? We're looking, it varies a lot across the U S. So when I was looking, there's state schools that in-state tuition would be as low as 18. I saw a few different places, but the University of Denver were in the 50s for the year. 
So it there's quite the range, and I know some of the law schools like you know you get in the Columbia and Harvard range, it's it's going even higher than that. So that that is a significant difference there. But it is crazy the variation, even within the U.S. as far as state school, private school, in-state versus out-of-state. A number of the schools I looked at, the in-state was half of the out-of-state, um, and then. But then there's other side where depending on the school you go to and depending on how you perform, obviously on the LSAT and GPA wise, there can be a significant amount in scholarships from my, in my experience, but at least that starting number uh, seems to be higher, at least on the farther end here. Right. Wow. That's, that's quite different than here in Canada. It's, it's, uh, I don't think there is a law school that goes beyond the 40,000 um so far but i guess we'll have to wait and see what happens in the yeah. coming decade as things I'm not going to with that one yeah yeah um but maybe you can share then what where where did you go from there so you you finished law schools not long ago and where yep. did that where did life take you from there yeah so a couple things throughout law school i had started working on this project sustainable fitness and my it started out as just helping my fellow students with fitness advice and different detailed aspects about the gym or diet or just varying things related to those topics. And particularly when COVID hit, I saw how important the gym was or exercise in general to our personal well-being and my classmates and especially myself, because I had always been someone who relied on exercise to as an outlet and to feel better and to be more productive and to clear my head and all of those good things. And so I saw how important it was to others. And then I started interacting with some individuals in the legal wellness space. And as I'm sure, I mean, at least in my orientation for law school, we had a number of sessions on the potential pitfalls for attorneys and even law students. Uh, as far as their personal health and their well-being and different things that can send them off in less desirable directions. And I got into that space and started interacting with different people and found that to be very helpful. And as I started providing advice to these law students and lawyers, I saw how their performance improved academically or for lawyers in their profession and they felt more confident, they had higher energy, they were feeling better in general and more productive, more efficient and had better performance. And so I, I realized that this could be a potential area for me to help more and more people with this. So I created Sustainable Fitness and it was a coaching platform to uh, help these individuals. And I had always heard, maybe you'd heard this too, Ocean, coming into law school, there is this idea maybe not explicitly, but at least implicitly, that you need to sacrifice some something to maximize your time devoted to studies or work or whatever it is. And you'd hear fellow students talking about how long they had studied, marathon sessions, and you felt like you need to sacrifice something, whether it was sleep, whether it was efficiency with your food, so going out and buying food that may not be the best for you, or even your fitness routine. I'd always been someone who was pretty active, but my first semester in law school, I didn't do anything. And it, I was so consumed with my work. And I'm, I'm, I know there's fellow students, probably some listening who resonate with that, that they were pretty active, but there just didn't seem like there was a time, which is so much being thrown at you immediately when you first start law school. So 
it came about as just very naturally helping others, giving advice and has become a business for me and something that I'm working on. So that's something I've ramped up since graduating law school, helping still law students, but also expanding out into barred attorneys who, um, who are practicing, who are dealing with long and intense billable hours and balancing that and not only improving their well-being through fitness, but also using it to facilitate their performance and having that higher energy that I spoke about. And then the other thing I'm working on, as you mentioned in the intro, is I joined a legal tech company called Law Toolbox, which is doing really good things in legal tech space. I was just in New York City for Legal Week, and it's incredibly exciting to see what's happening in legal tech, Um, especially since COVID, the necessity of moving trials and more things going online. A lot of attorneys who maybe previously had held out against tech and the wave of that are adopting it and appreciating the positive aspects of it. So I'm doing those two things now, working in legal tech, exercising my business and legal background, and then trying to help as many law students and lawyers as I can um, through sustainable fitness. That's really incredible, actually. The, the I guess the fact that you started it up in, in law school is quite inspiring. I presume for a lot of our, our listeners, in, in addition to myself, just finding that time to dedicate to not only fitness and everything else that you highlighted when when it comes to eating right and and spending your time wisely on academics, but then also starting a venture on the side. Curious to know what that looked like while you were still a student. Was it um, really business oriented? Was was there a business model at the time or was it more kind of focused on uh, seeing what that looks like? How can I help And, and going from there? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, even though I pride myself on being business minded, for a while, it was just me giving advice and truly just doing it because I enjoy helping people with that process. And I do think health is such a central part to our long term enjoyment and performance in our occupations, that it came about very naturally. And I wasn't trying to maximize every little relationship or every little bit of you know, every financial aspect as a business mind person probably should in a way I was just doing because I really enjoyed it. And I, I felt like I actually could have an impact in, and beyond just a, an idea of helping others beyond just that cliche, I really felt like, and I really enjoyed experiencing the progress of others as if I was experiencing it, as if it was my own experience, as if I was making that progress myself and seeing other people and really internalizing that and appreciating it. I got a lot of value out of just seeing other people um, make progress within their health and with their fitness. And so I didn't, I, I would say to some people's disappointment, I didn't maximize the business aspect of it early on, but I really felt comfortable with that. And I really felt like it was the right way to go about it. And it was what I enjoyed doing. And I feel like long-term that was going to be the approach that uh, served me the best. And did you find, at least from the uh, students that were kind of in your circle during law school that you were providing some of this insight, did you find a lot of the challenges that uh, you were hearing were focused around kind of dietary and and fitness uh, elements, or was it very much focused on stress and, and kind of how to manage that? 
Yeah, I think a lot of it was stress related. And there's a lot of research that shows that when we're more stressed, we then eat more poor, we eat more poorly, we sleep less, we exercise less. And so I think that stress was the, at the very core of it. And it was affecting the rest, those other aspects of their health. And I've always believed in when I was a TA for one of our legal writing classes, I told this to the students, like every class that came in, the first thing I told them, I was, you guys are all here because you can handle law school. And, and you, you prove that by even just being here. But it's that outside of school life events, those impacts of that, that might just take over the edge because say we're handling law school, we kind of feel like you're just kind of just above, just staying above the water as much as you can. And while you can handle it, it's those extra little, say a personal life event happened. I mean, I had a couple personal, big, big personal life events happen in one semester that while I thought I was handling everything well, once those things impacted me, then it just became a little too much. So I think at the core of it was that stress and it was these kind of not random, but these external events outside of actual schooling that really just was a little too much for some people and including myself at times. And so I think understanding that understanding that each individual that's in law school, I firmly believe that they can handle law school. It's just those extra little life events and having people you can go to having outlets, which I believe a great one is in fitness, having that outlet can really uh, help alleviate those external events when they do come and try to minimize the damage and just enough that you can stay on track and get to the other side. And I guess considering that most of our listeners, if not all, are probably uh, law students or maybe pre-law students and, and of that sort, mm-hmm. I, I presume most of them are currently resonating with a lot of what you're you're saying and, and the, the impact that law school has on our stress, our emotional system, our, our habits and our physical activity. Is there anything kind of a, a tip that you can give some of these listeners to already implement in their day, maybe even as of today to, to kind of improve the, the impact that stress is having on their life? Yeah. So specifically from a fitness aspect, the three things I always recommend are to, um, so set two goals. So if you want to have a fitness plan, have your ideal plan. And then instead of drop, if you can't achieve that, say it becomes too much, say your goal is to work out four or five times a week and you realize that's not going to happen, have a secondary goal that's two or three times. And instead of going from four or five to nothing, at least just drop down to the halfway point. And then if you can, at some point, you can ramp it back up to the four or five. So I think setting those, forgiving yourself for not being able to reach your primary goal is a great habit to get into because I have personally experienced where when I started law school, like I mentioned, the first semester, I didn't really do anything. Second semester, I started out on a plan that I thought I could stick to, quickly realized I couldn't. And there were certain periods of time where I abandoned it completely. But if I had had a halfway point where I could drop back to when I needed to, that was still getting me active to a good point, then that would have gone a long way. And so right. I yeah. Can, I can, go ahead. I can, I can see how, how that, uh, can easily happen. Like you have this big plan and you know that you're going to accomplish a new, 
goal that you set, whether it's health or, or eating, and then all of a sudden a big exam comes up or exam season is around the corner and, and you kind of pause or you can't make it. And then you're like, okay, well, I, I, I didn't meet my goal. So at this point, there's nothing to do. That That is a really good tip, I guess, to to just do something like don't don't give up completely even if you didn't reach your goal right exactly yeah i think it's really important to understand that the first goal you had it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be you made it or you didn't make it it can just be something that's the ideal situation that you go to when you can but to like i mentioned forgive yourself when you can't get to that point and just don't abandon it completely because once you abandon it, it is just that much more difficult to get back into it. So I think that's the biggest thing is to have those two goals or two plans that you can um, balance back and forth between uh, instead of going back to zero. So I think that's the biggest thing. And then the other thing, the second thing I recommend that seems like a big task occasionally at first is to, but ultimately saves you a lot of time is meal prepping to a certain extent. So this is a very specific piece of advice, but if you can do that, you then say you devote an hour to on the weekend, say Saturday morning, an hour prep, you know, five meals, each lunch for the week, then instead of convenience, doesn't become an excuse to eat poorly throughout the week. So instead of being like, okay, I only have five minutes. I can't, don't have enough time to make something. I'll have to go out and get something that's you know, greasy or whatever it is, something that will ultimately sap your energy. You don't have to do that because convenience no longer is a reason to eat out because you've meal prepped and you've saved that half an hour each, each lunch. You've just put that all into one hour on the weekend. So something like that, and that can take a little bit of planning, a little bit of effort at first, but once you get a system down, it's something that can be implemented, I think, for most people. So that's, I would say, my second uh, tip in that regard. And then, and, go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. I was going to, and then finally, the third one would be to, and this, there's plenty of research that I'm sure a lot of us have encountered at this point, but it is to um, get a full night to sleep. There are going to be occasional nights where you feel like you need to take a couple hours and instead of sleeping, you need to devote it to studying for something. But there is, you know, paper after paper that indicates that this does not benefit benefit us in the long run. It we don't retain procrastination studying throughout the night like we think we do. Um, and just long term it's detrimental to our well being and then in turn our um, performance as law students or as lawyers. Really, really valuable tips that I'm sure are easy to implement even tomorrow. Um, curious to know as well. So this year, a lot of uh, Ontario law schools started experimenting with uh, Headspace, mm-hmm. uh, the app, the the mindfulness meditation app, um, and quite a few students I've been seeing are, are jumping on that, including myself. Have you found that to be ever something that uh, works well with the regime that you explore? Is there is there any situations where you've come across the mindfulness meditation as part of the, the sustainable fitness effort? Yeah. So, so actually that ties in nicely with something we're doing right now. So sustainable fitness is doing this month is meditation March. And we are recommending that everybody who wants to can participate in our community. And each day you do a 10 minute 
guided meditation through Headspace or whatever your preferred app is, or even through uh, another platform. And I think that's an absolutely excellent um, approach. And we, th- at least at Sandable Fitness, we think that a community that's working together say like, even if we meditation be one of those things that can take a while to really get into, and it seems like a big undertaking to become this perfectly Zen person we have in our mind. And we know that's a very, very difficult path to get there, but at least say doing it for 30 days. And that's what we're recommending to our, to our community. And we have these monthly challenges for anybody that's interested. You can go to sustainablefitnesscoaching.com and we have monthly challenges. So for example, in a couple months, we're recomm- we have a daily challenge of walking a mile each day, doing a one mile walk. And of course, for the for yourself and for my, myself that's in a colder location uh we have that month reserved for the summer but doing those we firmly believe that doing 10 minutes a day of something that's good for your physical or mental well-being is a very good starting point for almost everybody and that's where meditation i think as you mentioned is an absolutely excellent entry point because it is something that doesn't have to be a long commitment and really is something that will help your daily mental clarity. It will allow you to slow down in each situation and process it less emotionally, less intensely in a way that is beneficial to you long-term. And so I, I, it was a very opportune time for that uh, question, just because that's something we're focusing on this month in sustainable fitness. And I think is something that ideally within these, you know, doing something say for 30 days allows you to understand how it can fit in your schedule. And while you may not necessarily continue it through the next month, it is something that you easily could because now you have built into your routine and you're much more likely to adopt it than say, if you thought, well, I'm just going to start meditating more often. That might happen, but it also might not happen. And that's that's awesome that you have uh, challenges going online Mm -hmm. that kind of students and, and people can partake in. And, and I think it was Naval Ravikant, if I'm not mistaken, was highlighting that it kind of externalizing some of your goals, meaning committing to them via uh, other people or other forums can help you meet those goals and objectives. And it sounds like a challenge in, in some external uh, program sometimes and potentially provided through sustainable fitness could be a great way to jump into this world that's definitely good for you and and maybe that's a a great opportunity for you to just flag for our listeners where can they find you whether it's social media or i know you mentioned a website where where could uh, our listeners go to find you yeah so the best place to find our community is at on instagram at sustainable fitness underscore and then you can also i can be found on instagram as well at thomas galloway and the l's are ones and as well as our website, as I mentioned, sustainablefitnesscoaching.com is a great place to just get a general idea of what we're about. And there we have all the community challenges, the monthly challenges listed. You can see what's coming up for the rest of the year. And then we have access to our uh, coaching and programs and all the other fitness and health related uh, content that we have on the website. That's perfect. And we'll we'll try to drop that down uh, in the bio for, for everyone to, to have easy access to it. Um, before we, we kind of wrap up, I'm really eager to know whether COVID has in general had a positive impact on sustainable fitness, a negative impact in terms of the practical implications of, 
of the pandemic? Yeah, so I really started getting into providing advice to fellow students around the time the pandemic started. And actually the pandemic, although it was detrimental in a lot of ways to um, well-being and um, happiness, and obviously it was a very bad situation all around, um, it has opened up the the people to accepting a remote coaching or online coaching in a way that probably wasn't as prevalent before, just because there's really, there's less alternatives. And also just the idea that things over online and remote are, can be pretty legitimate. And obviously through communicating through Zoom and we've just transitioned a lot to an online aspect and there's just a lot more of an openness to that. So sustainable fitness has experienced um, positivity throughout that just because we've also been able to create a community and people are more isolated and separated. So they want communities to work together and to work on themselves and to improve their health. And there's a lot more focus on increasing your ability to handle situations like COVID. And we've obviously had a lot of um, recurring variants and um, improving your health and investing in that. There's been a lot more interest in that, at, at least in our experience. And so overall, I think it's a positive trend towards the future and also incorporating it into your performance. Um, we have a lot of people working remotely, of course. And so having something that can keep you focused, keep you high energy and you utilizing sleep and diet and physical exercise uh, can anything that can facilitate that uh, can be positive. So that's the direction that uh, sustainable fitness is going. And it sounds like uh, the future is bright for, for sustainable fitness in general. And uh, it's great to know that the pandemic was to some degree a catalyst or a, a jumping board for, for the venture and to, to gr the, the growth that is evident in, in what you're explaining is really great to know that that is out there. Um, and maybe as, as one of our last questions that we um, get the audience to, to hear from you is, do you have any tips specifically around uh, the entrepreneurial um, drive that you've found within yourself and any, any tips that uh, current law students can take away if they're currently trying to figure out how to start some sort of project or initiative uh, even today? Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's a great question. I, I think the two that stand out to me, so first of all, I would say don't let the traditional path keep you stuck somewhere that you don't want to be. And so I felt, particularly when you go down the law school path, there it seems to be an expectation, a very strong expectation that there's these certain points that you'll hit. And you have to kind of check those off before you can really expand to different, you know, different paths or different variants on the traditional path. And so I would encourage any would-be entrepreneurs who are in law school to not let themselves get stuck. And I think partly because of societal or parental or family pressures, I felt like I, to a certain extent, had to stay on a certain path for a while. But I would encourage anybody who has an idea that they really are passionate about, that want to work on, that seems to conflict a little bit with the path they're on currently, to not abandon that that hope and that dream 
And even if you don't want to abandon the traditional path completely, at least carve out some time to work on it when you can. And that can be very difficult, but for most of our listeners, you're law students, you're incredibly capable, you're incredibly uh, adept at balancing a lot of different things and juggling a lot of different things. And this is something that is totally feasible for you to do. I, and I believe that if you can have a regimented, you know, an hour or two, say on the weekend, you carve an hour or two to work on this side venture that you're really excited about. And then just putting that little effort in there will allow you to feel creative and brainstorming throughout the week, just when you're walking to class or whatever it is, and things will pop in your head that won't have if you just abandon it or push it off for a few years. And so I would really encourage you to not be afraid. Those two, those two points summarized, don't be afraid to deviate from the traditional path. And if you don't want to, but have this thing that's just bugging you and eating at you that you want to work on, don't, you don't have to abandon the traditional path. Just, just keep with it and don't give it up and don't push it off until it's too late. And so I would, those would be my two, strongest two recommendations to any law students who even have a little bit of an entrepreneurial bone in their body. That's a beautiful takeaway to for, for our listeners from today's episode. And and I think it even applies to, to fitness as well. If, if there's something that you want, but you're still not doing, it's just a matter of getting it started. And really, Thomas, on behalf of the law school show and our audience in general, really appreciate you jumping on to our episode today. And, and we're all looking forward to seeing where your journey takes you and, and perhaps even doing a follow-up episode in, in the future. And for all the listeners, remember to check out um, Sustainable Fitness and we'll try to make sure to, to have that in our link below. Thomas, is there anything, uh, any final words that you want to share with the audience before we, we head out? Uh, I would just say focus on your sleep and your diet and your physical exercise. Don't abandon it like I did for my first year of law school. And once you focus on those things, it will facilitate your well-being and your performance in law school and in beyond, or for those thinking about law school, is something that can work for every area of your life. And I really appreciate the time today, Ocean. It's great to be on, and I would happily come on again in the future. This is really enjoyable. And with that, thank you as well to our listeners for tuning in. And I look forward to catching each and every one of you at our next episode on The Law School Show. Thanks, everyone. You've just been listening to The Law School Show. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and now on Spotify, or on our website at thelawschoolshow.com. If you liked what you heard, like us again on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter for the latest updates human stories, new legal topics, and career-advancing advice right to your earbuds. Catch it all here, next time, on The Law School Show.